0: Well, great to see you all here. You do wonder when you wake up as a minister on a wet day, is anyone going to turn up? <laughs> so it's lovely to see all your bright, smiling faces here. It's a great place to be on a day like today. Um, we're going to look today at the very well-known parable that's just been read, the parable of the sower. And uh, I want to call it the parable of the sower or the parable of the seeds. One of the most exciting things I have to We on? There we go. Uh, One of the most exciting things I get to see as a Christian is when I share uh, the great news about the Lord Jesus Christ and see people respond. And I remember very early on as a Christian having that opportunity uh, and seeing kids come to Christ. It was an incredible thing uh, to watch kids go from, if I can say, spiritual darkness to light and to see their joy. Uh, And that joy has never left me in terms of being able to have opportunities to sit with people and talk with them. I had the opportunity to do it just uh, a number of weeks ago uh, with someone who's now coming with our night service. And it's an incredible privilege, incredible intimate moment as someone does serious business with God. And yet, as we share God's word, uh, the thing that strikes me is that's not always what happens. You see people reject it. Uh, you'll see people who will say yes today and no tomorrow. Uh, you'll see very mixed results. And so I want to speak to the important question of how do you be fruitful as a Christian? And I want to use an event that I ran uh, a number of years ago in the year 2000. It was called Harvest 2000. It was a crusade to use kind of old style language. Uh, think of Billy Graham uh, with the great event in Sydney. That's what we had in Wollongong. Uh, It was run at the Wollongong Entertainment Centre. We had about 18,400 people come along over four nights and roughly speaking about 1,600 people went forward in the stadium and gave their lives to Jesus and it was very exciting. Yet even from that event uh, there were people who heard the message and thought this is stupid uh, and they walked away. There were people who were interested but yet didn't do anything with it Uh, and even of the 1,600, not all of them went on in their Christian faith. And it begs the question as we come to the passage today, what is the key to fruitfulness in the Christian life? What is the key to fruitfulness in the Christian life? And we come to a very helpful passage to look at that question. Uh, if you've got your Bibles there, please do open Verse 21. Uh, I think I'm going to use the gooseneck. What's that? I think it's the weather, I'm told, anyway. So, if you've got your Bibles there, open up to Luke chapter 8, verse 4, page 1023. And I want to make just a couple of introductory comments. The parable is known historically as the parable of the sower. It's probably better called the parable of the seeds. Uh, The sower really is in the background. It's actually what happens with the seeds that is most significant that we reflect on. Um, But secondly, as you read this, um, I remember thinking, boy, it's an interesting farming technique, um, throwing seed on paths. Why would you do that? Has anyone ever thought that? Uh, Why are there seeds on paths? Um, You wouldn't normally do that. Well, when you look at Palestinian farming techniques, uh, they're quite different to ours. You basically plough the field up and there is no path. There's just a big field of ploughed up soil. And the sower would go through and he would just sow seed everywhere, very generously. The path comes in later as people start to walk across it. And a path gets trodden out and beaten down. And so, what Jesus is saying is the soil that becomes the pathway is the soil that the birds pick the seeds off. They wouldn't have known where the rocks were, they didn't have that sort of technology. And so as they're sowing, they're not quite sure the depth of soil that they've got. The soil covers up and there were areas where you would have, if I can say, limestone that would be very high in the uh, table of soil and the soil was very shallow. And of course, we all know about weeds. Um, You plough soil up and those little dastardly devils are there. And you don't know until later on. Well, that's the Palestinian farming technique that was familiar to Jesus and so what he's saying is in tune with what was happening in his day and age. Uh, The third thing is when you read this passage there's this enigmatic saying uh, about the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God and he says, but I speak to some in parables so that those seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. What's this? Uh, Is Jesus telling parables so people won't understand the message? Well, it's a very good question. I'm going to come back to that later on. What's obvious in the passage is Jesus says when the word goes out, you should expect to see a varied response. In fact, there are four different responses that he talks about. And I think it's worth reflecting on that. Whenever you see the Gospel message go out, uh, don't think that every person who responds is going to stick with it. You see, Jesus is saying here there are many different ways that people will respond, four very uh, important ones to understand. And today what I want to do is go through these four responses so that we can understand uh, how not to respond and how to respond and how to be fruitful. Well, here's the first response. Jesus says there's going to be people who say yes today but no tomorrow. Whenever you hear the word of God go out, uh, there are going to be people who respond. Some of them, he says, will say yes today, but no tomorrow. Have a look at verse 11 and 12. This is the meaning of the parable. This is why it's such a, a, a good one to read. It's very easy. Jesus tells us what the meaning is. Um, the seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be, ju- and be saved. Now, Jesus says firstly that some hearers are like seed sown on a pathway that gets trampled and it's eaten by the birds. Now, the word goes out, they hear it and yet Satan snatches it away. Now my experience is this, I've met and seen many people Who are like this? Rod, we might not worry about it. I think we're fairly warm now. I'm going to talk to you about numbers of different people that I've had experience with. They're all from my past ministry, none of them are from Sydney. The interesting thing is, when I thought of this category of people, I couldn't remember any names. You see, there's numbers of people I talk to who you will sit with them and they will look excited and you'll go through the Gospel. And they'll go, yes, this is great. But then you talk to them the next day and they don't want to know a thing about it. I remember when we had the crusade in Wollongong, we had over 1,600 people to follow up. And they all gave us their name, uh, their phone numbers, emails, and they were sent out to the various churches involved. There's a whole bunch of churches. And so we had from our church a number of people to follow up. And these are people who had got up out of their seat and publicly gone forward in front of a whole crowd of people and said, yes, I want to follow Jesus. And yet within days we rang them and some of them were delighted to hear from us. But there were others who said, oh, I actually, no, no, it's okay, I'm right. (laughs) We never saw them again. Now, is that because crusade evangelism is outdated? Is that because Greg's message, the guy who spoke, was uh, inadequate? Uh, Well, actually, no, I don't think any of that. Um, I've seen this response when I've spoken to people one-to-one. I've seen this response when I've done Christianity Explored, Christianity Explained, Alpha, Simply Christianity. You name it, the small group that you design to get people together to study and understand the Gospel. I've seen people respond this way in all of them. And I've seen people respond this way when you have a large event like a crusade. You see, the problem isn't the message or the method. The problem is our hearts and some people, well they're interested but really their hearts are closed and there's a spiritual warfare that takes place and Jesus says the devil comes and snatches that word away and if you're here for the first or second time and you're interested in today's message, let me just say a wonderful thing would be come back next week. I understand that people often are not converted in one week. It can take weeks and months. It took me over half a year. And so if you're here and you're hearing this for the first time, come back and keep listening. Don't let the devil snatch the word away from you. Jesus says there's a second response to God's word that you'll find. There's going to be people who say yes today, but eventually they fall away. Have a look at verse 13. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it. But they have no root. They believe for a while but in the time of testing they fall away. And this is the second seed. It shoots up full of life but there's no capacity to sustain that growth. You see, the root system is very shallow. It's on rocks, it can't tap down to get the deeper nutrients and water that it needs. And so though there is a quick flourish of life, it doesn't last. And Jesus says it's because the time of testing has come. And I've met many people like this. In fact, every year, every year in ministry I see this happen. I've seen this happen at St Matthew's every year. Uh, There are people who will come And they will profess some faith before they fall away. I remember uh, in my old church there was a guy called Jeff. Half of his family were Christians, half weren't. The father was and the son was. The brother wasn't, the mother wasn't. And I got to know Michael and Bill. And one day Jeff changed. And Jeff heard this evangelist, Greg Laurie, when he came to town. And Jeff went forward and gave his life to Christ. And Jeff did turn up the next week at church. It was very exciting. And we saw him begin to grow in his faith. He joined a small group for a while. But then he stopped coming. And then he stopped coming to church and it became harder and harder to contact. Uh, it didn't just happen in an instant overnight. There was a sense of which he gradually just dropped off. Until he wasn't interested and he said, Please don't bother him with this God stuff. And I see this every year people who profess Christ, people who even get baptized, people are even serving in some way, shape, or form, and they look genuinely converted. You rejoice with them. And it begs the question what happens? Um, Jesus says, There is no root there is a superficial response to God's word and he said in a time of testing, they fall away. Now, what does he mean by this? In a time of testing people fall away. I believe it's possible to be converted for all sorts of reasons and not be a Christian. Now, all of us will probably have had many conversion experiences. I got converted when I was 42. Did you know that? I got converted to surfing when I was 42. (laughs) I never forget catching my first wave. It was a left-hander. It was hollow. It was quick. And there was this incredible exhilaration off Oily's Beach in Wollongong. It's the South Beach down further down, thinking, wow. And I was converted. (laughs) And I've been following the surfboard ever since. Uh, I remember I was converted to fishing when I was 10. And I was at Long Reef Beach, my family had gone down there, it was a Saturday afternoon and I caught this massive flathead as a 10 year old and I dragged it back up the beach to show everyone, here mum, look what I've got and I was converted. Um, When it comes to Christianity, people get converted, I think, for all sorts of reasons. You see, conversion is a normal human psychological experience all of us will go through kind of conversion experiences for various things that we encounter in life. And one of the things I think that can fool people is they can get converted by the idea of Christianity. When Christians are living as Christians, I think there's an incredible winsome power about their community. When they really live out what truth and grace and love mean. And people can come here and think, I want what they've got. And they get converted by the idea of Christian, I want to be with these people. Uh, They're a good group. People can come here who are lonely and they get converted by the idea of church. They want to be part of the community. There's an incredible power when you see a church living out their faith in real Christian community and there is a real sense of genuine love, acceptance, forgiveness. And people will come here and be converted by that experience, if I can put it that way. Um, People can be converted to heaven You see, they don't want to go to hell. And so they come thinking, I just don't want to go to hell, I'll be part of this people. But what they're not converted to is the Lord Jesus Christ. They've never received Jesus truly as their Lord and Saviour. Because they've never been truly convicted that they are completely lost in their sin. There's a part of them deep down that thinks, um, well, being here part of the church and the community and with these people is great. It kind of rubs off. And they don't know the reality of being born again, of trusting Christ and having their sins forgiven. And so when a time of testing comes, the tests, are they converted to Jesus Christ? Is he their Lord and Saviour? They fall away. It may be suffering. Uh, we're caught asking, why did God let this happen to me? Actually, it's no fun being with these Christians anymore. They keep telling me to trust in Jesus. But I'm in such pain, I can't do that. It may be temptation. I've seen this happen many times with single people coming to Christ. All of a sudden they meet a wonderful non-Christian person they start dating and soon they fall away. You see, what they really wanted and what they were converted by was the community. The idea of Christianity, it wasn't actually Jesus saving them from their sins. And they meet someone who will love them and care for them, even sleep with them. And the Christians tell them, actually, no, you need to follow Christ and they make their choice. It may be opposition. The time of testing will come for any new Christian where they will have to stand up and say, I follow Jesus. And the world will not love that. In fact, the world will oppose you for standing for Jesus. And all of us will go through that time of testing. I remember a young couple, Nick and Helen, they were from Greek Orthodox background and they were serving in a church in Irwood over on the other side of Sydney, very multicultural, had a great time there. Nick had wandered in one night and literally heard the Gospel and gave his life to Christ. An evangelist, Ian Powell, was speaking. He went back to his family to tell them he'd become a Christian. You could think that they would be excited. Well, no, there was no excitement there. In fact, there was disdain. And they thought maybe he'd get over it. But Nick kept coming to our church. You see, church for their family was about social identity and nationality. You're orthodox, you don't go to Anglican. But Nick would say, but they open the Bible, they read it, I've discovered Jesus. The only place in his house where Nick could freely read the Bible, there was one room, do you know what it was? It was the bathroom and he could sit on the toilet. He said, that's the one room where they won't come in and interrupt me. He said, they'll come into my bedroom, they'll come in wherever, and just hurl abuse. And it was because he followed Jesus. People can be converted by all sorts of things and in the time of testing you will see, is it to the Lord Jesus Christ or is it to something else? There will be people who fall away because they're converted by something else. The third response is people saying yes today, then slowly choking to a spiritual death. Have a look at verse 14. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches and pleasures and they do not mature. Uh, If ever there was a verse, if I can say, for middle class Christians in Sydney and particularly in Manly, uh, this would be one to read and take heed of. You see, the third seed falls amongst the weeds, and if you've done gardening, you'll know that when you plant your plants and put the seeds in, you don't know where the weeds are, but you will see it very early on. Because as your plant comes up, so do the, the seeds of the weeds come up. And if you don't get onto it in the terms of getting on top of it by plucking those weeds out, they slowly grow and overtake what you've planted. And the weeds are strong. And they thrive and they deprive your plant of nutrient and moisture and slowly they grow and kill the plant. Jesus said it's no different spiritually. You see, as people respond to him and trust him and follow him as Lord and Saviour, they grow. But they grow in a world of competing forces. They grow in a world where there is spiritual warfare going on. They grow in a world where the devil is active And this world will offer us pleasures. This world will put us through trials. And Jesus says they're like weeds that will choke and kill us if we don't watch out. I remember a couple that joined our church in Wollongong. Uh, They were a lovely young couple, attractive, good kids, a lot of fun, bright, uh, good to have over, Greg and Jane. Similar age to myself, similar age kids. Uh, We got to know them when they joined the church. They were new Christians and they were growing. I remember Greg coming to a training group because he wanted to learn how to share his faith. Well, Greg was very able and was doing well at work. Jane was very bright, also very able. Um, She wanted to continue to study and grow. And when I first met them, they were growing in their faith, but you could see the weeds beginning to grow in their life as money and affluence, as position and significance and as career started to take over. Jane started PhD studies. She had to drop Bible study, as did Greg. He was climbing the corporate ladder in his job. They were busy. Uh, They didn't come to church as much, but this was just for a season. Look, when things settle down, we'll get back there. Well, Jane continued her studies and then they bought the new house. They had to renovate. And so she's doing PhD renovations. Greg's climbing the ladder and he's doing renovations. And well, at this point in time, they've really stopped coming. And they live around the corner. And you try and talk to them. And there was kind of a deafness. Look, when things settle down, we'll be back. Their daughter kept coming, she was soundly converted. And what struck me was a party we went to to, if I can say, open the new renovated house and they were people from church and lots of friends who weren't from church. And you see, two years before that, Greg was learning how to share his faith with those friends. But two years on, what struck me was Greg wanted to be like his friends, And there was no sense of we want to reach these people. There was a very strong sense we've become like these people. I don't know if you've watched someone die slowly with cancer. It's a very painful and sad and traumatic thing to have happen. And if you have had that experience, uh, my heart goes out to people like that. You just watch someone slowly die and I've seen that happen on numbers of occasions. That's the image that came to me when Jesus spoke about this third seed. People slowly being choked to death by the world. Like an anaconda snake that just wraps itself around you and slowly and surely squeezes the very spiritual life out of your soul until you're dead. We're okay. We'll get back when things settle down. Do you know when things settle down? They settle down in the grave. Life never settles down. There'll always be something competing for your heart. Always. That's the world we live in. And the devil will always be putting temptations and trials before you. Friends, things never settle down. The decisions that you make each day regarding the priorities in your life and what is first will change you for better or for worse. The decision to get up in the morning and read your Bible and pray. It won't happen when things settle down. You have to make a decision. The decision to meet regularly with other Christians and read and pray and encourage each other and keep each other on track won't happen unless you make a decision. The decision in the rain to go to church with wet kids and raincoats is a great one, isn't it? You've come today, good on you. Because you see, church is so important in terms of marking in that week. This world is not what I live for. And I think that's one of the profound benefits of regular church attendance and why you should come every week. It's because you're saying to yourself, we're saying to each other, this world is not our home, we are journeying to another place called heaven. Well, let me finish with the fourth response. It's a depressing parable at one level, 75% fall by the wayside, if you're into maths, which I am. 25% though bear fruit which is a hundredfold. So, there's the mathematical kicker. (laughs) This seed, Jesus said, landed in good soil and there are people who will say yes today and you'll see incredible spiritual fruit from their life. You see, the soil is good soil and it stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it and by persevering produce a crop. Um, listeners to the word of God, those who are the good soil, those who are the fruitful Christians are marked by three things. First is a good and noble heart. And it's worth reflecting on this. I was thinking, what's the significance of Jesus saying here that it's the good and noble heart? Is not the problem of those who fall away that they've never given their heart to Jesus? They've never seen His worth and magnificence, and that He is the unique and only world Savior? Is that not the issue? And so, when the time of trial comes, the thing their heart really stands for is not Jesus and so they fall away. And is not the problem of people being choked to death by this world that they've let the world get into their heart and they've not protected their heart and so it is no longer noble or good. Uh, There is no longer a sense of personal integrity leading to righteous choices. Friends, guard your heart. Above all things, it is the wellspring of life. They hold fast to the word of God. You see, they have a noble and good heart. They love the Lord your God with all their heart and they hear the word and they retain it and they persevere. Fruitful living for Christ will come by guarding your heart and holding on to the word and continuing to obey it with perseverance. And that theme of listening and hearing and doing runs right through this passage. In verse 8, he says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. In verse 18, Therefore consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. And he finishes by talking about who is the people who belong to his family. It's those who hear the Word of God and put into practice. And Jesus says they will produce incredible fruit. I'll finish with a story. Gail came to the crusade. Gail came to the crusade because she went through high school with Steve Grace, one of the musicians who was playing that night. Gail was an atheist and she would describe herself as a pagan. That would have been her words. I'm a heathen. Uh, She came not to hear a message but just to see her old school friend Steve. And she said to Steve, Yeah, I'll come. And because Steve was in the band, she sat in the second row. When Steve finished playing, Greg Laurie, the speaker, is about to get up and speak. And she thinks, Oh, it's time to go now. I'm not going to listen to this American evangelist. He sounds like one of those guys on TV, a whack job. And she looks around and there's five thousand people there now. And she's in the front row. So she said, Oh darn, I've got to stay. So she stayed and listened. And she said as Greg spoke she couldn't help but like him and she's fighting it the whole time thinking I shouldn't be but I do. At the end she wanted to go forward and give her life to Christ. She thought this is stupid, I don't even believe in God. What am I doing? And she ran out of the building and fled. She said for the next three days I had this argument with God, the God I didn't even believe in. And he won on Wednesday. On Sunday she turned up at my church like someone who'd never been to church in their life, like someone the cat had dragged in. And she stood at the back wall, pinned there, thinking, what am I doing here? And I remember talking to her, um, you know, you've come along and I was looking out for people who'd gone to the crusade. And friends, she went on in her faith from that day forward and has never looked back. She had five kids. Most of them are converted. Her husband, Graham, was a very tough nut. He finally bowed the knee to Jesus a couple of years ago. All of her friends started coming to Christ. You see, there was this incredible fruit when the word took root and the heart was changed and she held on to that word with great perseverance and God used to her And continues to in a great way. Friends, how do you be fruitful? Have a heart that you protect and loves God, and hold on to the word, and never let go of it, and keep living for Jesus. We're going to celebrate communion now. We're a little bit behind time with the rain, but that's all right, because you see, it is a great day to hold on to the word, the living word of life, as we celebrate his death and resurrection. I'll hand over to Dave.